governments need to pick up the pace and show the necessary ambition on mitigation, adaptation and finance in a balanced way. Persons with disabilities are also women, are also indigenous people. We need to make sure that all of these conversations are addressing disability inclusion. What are the solutions? What are the regulations we need? And this is what I'm really saying all the time, and it's frustrating to see that the narrative has to change, but takes a long time to be changed. Hello, it's the Lid is On from COP26 in Glasgow. I'm Connor Lennon, and this is Lara Quinones. Hello. Hey. How is it going? It's going okay. You were complaining <laughs> about tiredness yesterday. Well, you're not allowed to complain today because there's a bunch of negotiators who are working their little tails off. They've probably forgotten what sleep is. Yeah. And they're not going to get any sleep probably until all this is over. In yeah. theory, tomorrow, I mean, it's the countdown to the big closing day tomorrow. But Yeah, they said they were rolling out their sleeves today to finalize the outstanding commitments. Now, I've heard that some countries are even offering alcohol to negotiators if they really? if they get done on time. It seems like a fairly <laughs> desperate attempt to get them to finish quickly. And I hope they don't give them the alcohol before they're finished because... I was going to say, what about us? The al- <laughs> I don't think we really figure that high on the priority list, Lara, I'm afraid. You're going to have to find your own alcohol. Well, it is the final themed day, cities, regions and infrastructure. And this is important because infrastructure including the built environment, accounts for around 80% of greenhouse gas emissions when you take into account everything that goes into making and using it. However, as we'll be hearing, the solutions already exist to make cities more livable and less polluting. They just need to be put in place. And we'll be hearing calls for vulnerable communities to be remembered in plans for sustainable cities. That's all coming up in today's show. But let's start with the main event, which you've been following, Lara, those negotiators working through the night. Alok Sharma, the COP26 president, was talking today, acknowledging the spirit of, he said, cooperation and civility that has been demonstrated throughout the negotiations. But we're not there yet, he said. Uh, They said there is still a lot more work to be done. And COP26, well, as we all know, is scheduled to close at the end of tomorrow. I'm doing air quotes around schedule. He did air quotes and he said, time is running out. But he pointed out that finance seems to be the issue that they need to accelerate uh, negotiations on and they need to accelerate now, he said. At the end of the day yesterday, uh, after we'd put the podcast to bed, we we got this China-US deal. Oh, yeah. And uh, some were saying that's a diplomatic breakthrough. Others have been complaining that there, there weren't that many specifics apart from measures to cut methane emissions, which is still a big deal. It is. And also yesterday we saw the draft... COP deal. We're not sure if how much of this material is going to be in the Indeed. final agreed yes. document. But uh, many people were remarking on the fact that fossil fuels, and some people might be surprised by this, for the first time, fossil fuels were specifically mentioned. And this has been regarded as very significant. Not only fossil fuels, but also loss and damage. That includes developed countries giving kind of reparations financial reparations to countries that are on the front lines of the climate crisis and have gotten through a big hurricane, for example. So developed countries will have to pay them to uh, reconstruct, rebuild again. One of the things that people are working on right now as we speak. One other thing, that a couple of other things that I wanted to mention that, that jumped out today. 
uh, the Beyond Oil and Gas Alliance, mm -hmm. which sounds very interesting. Yes, this new alliance of Beyond Oil and Gas Alliance was actually launched by Ireland, France, Denmark, Costa Rica, and other regional governments and countries. It's the first of its kind because we heard all about these coal alliances, but this is the first gas and oil alliance, which a lot of these emissions are coming from these industries. And this is the fir first group of like stakeholders that have said that they want to set an actual date to end national oil and gas exploration and extraction. So very good news um, and a very good example for, for other countries in the global north. Well, yes, I was going to say, not all countries are involved in this. There are some significant exactly. countries that are not involved. Not the big emitters are involved yet. We also heard today from the Secretary General. He's back. We'll be hearing from him in just a, a few moments. But he did mention setting up a high-level expert group. What will that be doing? Yes, uh, they will propose clear standards to measure and analyze this net zero commitment, not from the governments, but by the businesses and non-state actors. What we call non-state actors, yes. yes. So anyone that's not a, a government, basically, Exactly. So they will submit, he said, a series of recommendations next year to be able to measure progress and how to adjust it as well. Let's turn now to today's theme, cities, regions and infrastructure. As I said, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres is back in Glasgow and he's going to be here, we think, until the end of negotiations. And in his opening remarks, which touched on all of the hot topics around COP26, he did mention cities. I am inspired by the mobilization of civil society, by the moral voice of young people keeping our feet to the fire, by the dynamism and the example of indigenous communities, by the tireless engagement of women's groups, by the action of more and more cities around the world, by a growing consciousness as the private sector aligns balance sheets and investment decisions around net zero. And governments need to pick up the pace and show the necessary ambition on mitigation, adaptation and finance in a balanced way. We cannot settle for the lowest common denominator. We know what must be done. That was UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres speaking a little earlier today on what needs to be done to keep the 1.5 goal alive, which means reducing emissions globally by 45% by 2030. Cities, of course, are big sources of greenhouse gas emissions, so city governments need to be on board with plans to decarbonise. And you spoke to a city mayor from your home country, did you not? Yes, I did. Uh, the mayor from Bogota. She's actually the first female and LGTB mayor in the country. She was the chair of uh, the C40, which is a group of cities that are advancing in many sustainable development goals. And actually, she, she was one of the signatures of, of a big commitment that was presented at the beginning of COP, uh, where 1,049 cities are committing to net zero by 2050. When you met her, she said that they're finding that this COP is somewhat different from the previous editions. This one, the COP26, is the first one in which the local governments and the city governments of the world united came with a voice and leading by example with their city uh, plan and climate actions plans. 
we were able through organizations such as C40, which is a union of cities, to promote and to compromise others into climate change. It's the first time that we are able to show the pledge of 1,049 cities who already have climate action plans, climate action investments, and are coming together to the COP26 to show that commitment, to show the commitment of, to change for our citizens and our cities, and to ask the national governments and the private corporations to do their part, to align their incentives and investments with our climate action plans, with our citizens' demand for actual change. So we came here together as cities of the world to tell the world that we are committed, we talk less, but we do more because we have the demands of our citizens and the willingness to change to our citizens and the willingness to pay for change of our taxpayers. But we need the private corporations, the national governments to do their part, to align their incentives and investments with our local climate change plans. That was Claudia Lopez, the mayor of Bogota. Bringing down emissions is, of course, of key importance. But at the UN, we often talk about a just transition, ensuring that vulnerable groups aren't penalised and are at the heart of changes to a cleaner future. At the beginning of the conference, there was a bit of a stir when an Israeli minister, who's a wheelchair user, complained that she couldn't get to the site because no wheelchair access transport was available. Well, she did eventually make it in and the UK government apologised, but it has been seen by some activists as symbolic of the way that disabled people are often missing from discussions around sustainability. This morning I spoke to Gordon Rattray from the European Disability Forum. He told me that he was in Glasgow to ensure that the rights of people with disabilities are respected at COP26 and moving forward. And he told me that he'd had his own access problems early in the conference. On my very first day, I got uh, the lift, the, the wheelchair lift that was at the entrance, um, stopped working and wasn't able to, to take me in the chair. So that, that was a bit of a, um, a story in itself in the beginning. But since then, I have to say that uh, for wheelchair access, um, personally speaking, I haven't had so many problems getting around. Um, although talking about accessibility and inclusion in general, um, I haven't seen any... Um, for example, things like sign uh, interpretation, um, captioning, live captioning, this kind of thing. Um, at least at the big plenary events, these things should be absolutely there from the beginning and, and I haven't seen anything like that. So I think uh, regarding accessibility and inclusion in general, um, COP has got uh, lots of, of learnings and, and things that I hope uh, we can take forward towards the next uh, events and, and make improvements towards. Uh, because for many people, if you don't have the information available in different formats, then they obviously cannot, uh, they don't know what's going on, they cannot participate, they cannot raise their voice, and the whole thing is that everyone must be part of this conversation moving forward. Do you feel that this issue has been raised enough at this conference? No, a short answer is absolutely not. I've not seen enough people with disabilities here to raise the points, I've not seen enough. Um, uh, organizations of persons with disabilities or other organizations who are um, fighting for the rights of persons with disabilities here um, raising these points. It's a huge event. Um, there are many, many 
uh, entry points for disability inclusion. I mean, you could argue that everything is because we are part of society and we should be involved in everything. And, and I don't hear enough mention of meaningful participation of persons with disabilities in, in mainstream conversations or even in specific conversations around things like gender inclusion, inclusion of indigenous people. Um, all of persons with disabilities are also women, are also indigenous people. We need to make sure that all of these conversations are addressing disability inclusion. Are things improving though? Are things changing or not? Broadly speaking, across uh, all of these initiatives, things are improving. I mean, if we look at things like disaster risk reduction and humanitarian action, um, there have been major uh, steps forward over the last five or six years. And all of these things are part of the solution towards uh, climate change. And all of these things need to be applied uh, in working towards climate change. And many of these things have got many explicit references to things like accessibility, universal design, uh, meaningful participation, and consultation of, disabled, uh, of persons with disabilities and organisations of persons with disabilities. So when addressing climate uh, change and, and uh, doing climate uh, action and achieving climate justice, it's really a case of looking at these tools and frameworks that exist where they're already accessible and inclusive and applying them in the right places. So yes, to answer your question, things are improving, um, not fast enough, never fast enough, um, but things are improving slowly, yes. That was Gordon Rattray from the European Disability Forum. So things are improving, he says, but slowly. And I also got a couple of words with Ian McKinnon, the Director of Inclusive Design at the Global Disability Innovation Hub. And he's also a Glaswegian. He made the point, which should be obvious really, that disabled people should be part of all conversations when it comes to designing city spaces. The fundamental point is to ensure that you are including disabled people in the conversation, uh, ideally having them lead the conversation about um, good inclusive design. You shouldn't be thinking about accessibility or inclusion you know, when you, when you find an issue. It should be considered at the very, very start of any project, any process. So if you, if you use this conference as the example, at the planning stage, that should have, you know, inclusion should have been considered right back at the very, at the brief, the concept idea for this conference, and you weave that all the way through. How's Glasgow? It's got its problems, like all cities do. Um, but I know that there are local um, disability groups campaigns un- unhappy with with some of the infrastructure. Common problems in many cities, not just Glasgow, cycling infrastructure, bollards, public transport access tend to be kind of common things that come through time and time again. Um, so yeah, no city's perfect. And uh, you know, I, I believe that there's a will to, to do better in Glasgow. And uh, if we can support that, then great. That was Ian McKinnon, Director of Inclusive Design at the Global Disability Innovation Hub. No city's perfect, he says, not even Glasgow. The importance of putting people, particularly vulnerable groups, at the centre of city plans was also being hammered home by Caroline Dumas over the last two weeks. She's the Special Envoy for Climate and Migration at the International Organisation for Migration, IOM. Decisions have to be people-centred. They have to be not only for the planet, which is crucial, mitigation is and keeping 1.5 degrees within reach is absolutely crucial, of course, but it is crucial for both the planet and humanity. And this is a work that has to be done listening to all voices at local, national, international level, 
but listening to the affected communities, uh, the, those that we are seeing in IOM and who are people who have already been displaced by the, the, the gravity, the seriousness of the of climate crisis. Is your data showing you that more people are being displaced, are moving to different countries, different regions because of the climate? More people have been displaced in the last 10 years. The, the figures have increased every year up to more than 30 million people displaced in 2020 alone for disaster reasons and for climate hazards reasons. The scientists tell us that the trend of um, the intensity of climate events and, and their, their strengths is going to push more people on the roads. But these people are mostly, I mean, the displaced persons and that mobility is mostly internal. It is more than 80% inside the countries themselves. You know, in a Sahelian country, for instance, like Senegal or Niger or Mali, people just leave their lands which are because of the drought and try to go to other places and lands where they can uh, live uh, or raise cattle and as well they are increasing the populations in the towns. Cities are as well a big of course de destination for these people on the move. So we, we feel that it is important to address uh, that question of human mobility at the same time as we are addressing, of course, the, uh, the climate change uh, for the planet. We, the, the figures are already there. We cannot work on same targets as the targets of the planet, I mean, 2030 or 2050. Human mobility has already happened. It is happening now. We know where it is happening, and we need to bring support to these populations. That was Caroline Dumas. Special Envoy for Climate and Migration, who warns that more and more people are set to be displaced from their homes because of the climate crisis. And finally, I got to catch up with Bertrand Picard, explorer, first man to go around the world in a hot air balloon, first man to take a solar-powered plane around the world. I always catch up with him at these kind of events. He's indefatigable. He's now running the not-for-profit Solar Impulse Foundation, which presents countries with realistic, tangible, technical solutions to decarbonize cities and countries. As usual, he was running around meeting dozens of ministers to get his point across. So I asked him what they're telling him. They're telling that we have to do something, but very often they don't really know how to do it. And our role is to bring them solutions to do it. And this is where comes the 1,000 plus solutions that we have identified everywhere around the world with the foundation. And they all create jobs, they all allow industrial profit, and they all protect the environment. And more than that, they are all available today. It is not this fantasy of future technologies that will save the world and that justify that we do nothing today. Not at all. It is something that helps us to act now. We're speaking on Cities Day. What has your experience been over the years that you've been traveling around the world? Do you see more signs that cities are becoming sustainable? Absolutely not. Even in modern buildings, in some countries, you have single glazed windows. You have no possibility to regulate the air conditioning. So it's freezing cold, wasting energy, built with old ways of producing cement and concrete. No, no, you know, it has to change. 
because there are a lot of people moving from the lands to the to the cities. A lot of cities, a new building have to be constructed and it has to be made in an efficient and sustainable way. Maybe the upfront investments for a carbon neutral building is a bit higher, but over the time of the life of the building, it is much cheaper because of all the energy that you are saving, all the resources you are saving. You have cements like the one produced by Oldsem, which is labeled by our foundation. It is half the CO2 emissions of normal cement. You have district cooling that allows to save at least 75% of the energy that is normally used for heating and cooling. And you have type of insulation in the buildings that allow you to keep the heat or the cold inside instead of wasting it. So all this gives hope, but it gives hope only if there are some regulations that will really become incentives to use the new systems. Because if it is still allowed to make dirty buildings, people will not move into using the modern ways to make buildings. So the solutions are there. You've been telling leaders this for years. Are you getting frustrated? I'm very frustrated to see that even in this cup, all the speeches start by there is a huge problem then you have the list of the problems and then it ends up with a conclusion that always says we have to act and that's it okay we have to act but now it's time to say how to act what are the solutions what are the regulations we need to bring more of these solutions to the market and this is what I'm really saying all the time and it's frustrating to see that the narrative has to change but takes a long time to be changed Bertrand Picard, always full of energy, but however, admitting to frustration at how long this is all taking. Will there be more frustration to come tomorrow, Lara? Is this all going to end? Will we still be here? <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, everyone in the civil society are expecting big decisions tomorrow and more ambition. And so is the COP president still urging their negotiators for more ambition well yeah we'll, we'll we'll have to see we don't really know what's going to happen do we but we will bring you something we'll definitely bring you the voices <laughs> of those those indigenous groups the civil society groups and yeah why not take a look back at some of the highlights as yeah well. we will too don't know what's going to happen it's going to be adventure for all of us let's keep our fingers crossed though in the meantime remember to check all our coverage at news.un.org subscribe <laughs> subscribe subscribe and subscribe subscribe subscribe